and amen. Hey, grab a seat. And as you do, grab a Bible. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10, if you would. Romans chapter 10 is where we're going to be. And while you turn there, let me just uh, uh, tell you uh, about this. Uh, one of the great gifts that our elders will give to us as pastors is our, our sabbatical season. So after uh, a pastor's worked here for six years, kind of in a six to seven year window, uh, they'll uh, qualify for a sabbatical. And so I wanted to let you know, uh, uh, next uh, Sunday will be uh, Pastor DJ's last Sunday with us for six weeks because he and Hillary will take off on their sabbatical uh, for six weeks. And um, uh, DJ and Hillary uh, got here the summer before the church even launched. And for the last six years, uh, they both have poured their blood, their sweat, and their tears into this place. And uh, how thankful are we for them, right, and what they bring? And uh, if... They're so deserving of these six weeks, and so if you see DJ today or uh, next Sunday, uh, encourage them, and then uh, they'll be back with us uh, right after the July 4th holiday. We're so thankful for them and so excited uh, for them. Uh, we're in the midst of this series we're calling The 4W Life, but as we've said from the beginning, we hope that this isn't just a series. We hope it's a way of life, that it becomes the culture of who we are and how we live, um, uh, because we have a very simple mission around here. It's the mission Jesus left us with, and it's to glorify God by making disciples. But uh, one of the things we've said all along is if, if we don't define what a disciple is, if we don't look to God's word to define what a disciple is, we can all have some very different understandings of what that means. And so around here, we say a disciple of Jesus worships Christ, walks with Christ, works for Christ, and witnesses for Christ. Uh, we've covered those other W's. Today, we're focused on our witness W. What does it mean that we are to live as witnesses of Jesus Christ? And so when, we, when you hear that around Redeemer, and when we talk about that, here's what we mean by living as a witness for Jesus Christ. Witness is the obedient love to those in my communities by consistently serving and sharing the gospel. A life of witness is an obedient love. It's an obedience thing. It's, and it's to those in my communities, and that word is intentional. The plural form of that word is intentional. We'll talk about why. By consistently showing up again and again and again and again, serving and sharing the gospel. And now, I fully recognize that, especially if you have church background um, or you grew up in the church, you you probably already know walking in here, yeah, like one of the things the Bible calls us to is to be bold in sharing our faith, to be bold in talking to those who don't yet know Jesus about Jesus. And yet you and I both know like that can be hard and there can be a lot of fear that wells up inside of us uh, as it pertains to that. And so I, I want to do something just at the start today and I'd ask that you really kind of engage in this exercise. Um, would you right now just call to mind uh, one, two, three people in your life who don't know Jesus Christ? Don't say their names out loud, okay? Just bring to mind. If you take notes, you maybe even write it down. But uh, picture faces, have names on your heart. Think of neighbors, think of coworkers, think of family members, think of friends, think of people who play on your kids' little league baseball team. But I think it's really important for us that we bring to mind actual faces, that we think about actual names. Because I'm going to preach to us Romans chapter 10, and I think it'll be the third time in the life of our church that I've preached this exact passage, not this message, but this passage. And I know, like, 
a lot of us, me included, it's really easy to sit in, in church on Sunday and to nod our head and be like, yeah, we agree. We got to share our faith. But unless we're burdened for some actual people, the, this can be really hard to translate into action once we leave church after Sunday. And, and so I, I want us throughout this message as we walk through this to picture those faces, to have those names on our hearts, and to ask God burden us with a love for those who don't yet know Jesus. And so I want to read this passage and, and read it in its entirety of what we're going to cover. I want to pray, and then uh, we're going to walk through this together. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then... Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let me pray. Father, will you help us now? Would you help us to obey? Uh, Lord, there, there's, there's not much in this passage that we probably can't readily understand just as we read through it. Under the inspiration of your spirit, Lord, Paul wrote a pretty airtight, logical flow here. Lord, most likely our problem today won't be in understanding it. It'll be to have the courage to obey it. And so we ask that your spirit would embolden us as we look to your word to embolden us. Make us courageous followers of you, Lord. We pray for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, jump back to verse 13 and start there with me. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, will be what? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is really foundational, right, to the Christian message, to the message Jesus came to bring. Uh, the reality is, and it's an important reality for us to be reminded of, that the Bible teaches that all of us who are walking on this earth, every single soul, every human being, has an eternal destiny. Those who call on Jesus, who place their faith in Jesus Christ, will spend eternity with God, with God in his presence in heaven. And those who persist in unbelief, who do not call on Jesus, will spend an eternity in hell. It's the clear biblical teaching from cover to cover, and it's an important thing for us to remember as we bring those faces and as we have those names on our heart, that every single person walking on this earth has an eternal destiny, and we must call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Why, why must we call on the Lord? Um, because sin has separated us from a holy God. All of us in this room have sinned. And in a picture I'll often think about of the dire nature of our sin, uh, this pit of sin is a pit in which uh, the walls are unscalable for us. We cannot climb out. We cannot rescue ourselves. And biblically, we're told there's only one rescuer who can reach down into the pit of sin and pull us out, and it's the one who lived the perfect life we can never live and then died on the cross for our sin and then rose victorious over it. It's King Jesus. 
He's the only one who can reach down into the pit of sin. And so we, uh, uh, before faith, we're crying out from this pit, Lord Jesus, save me. And in his faithfulness to us, he reaches down and he saves us. But we must cry out, which leads to this logical flow that uh, I just love that Paul gives us here, starting in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? This is really important. Belief must happen in the heart for the call. We must believe that Jesus is the Savior from our sins to call on Jesus to save us from our sins. And Paul says, um, um, no one will call if they don't believe. And then, and then um, uh, the intensity of this uh, heightens. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? So people can't call if they don't believe, and they can't believe if they don't hear. And and now let me just kind of unpack maybe some fallacies that we can have living in our culture, especially, I think, in Indiana uh, and in kind of the the northern part of the Bible Belt, if you will. We can read this and go, uh, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? I mean, come on, we live in, in Indiana. Everyone's heard of Jesus, right? And now... The reality is, because we are in a bit more of a, 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 a church cultural area, people might have heard the name of Jesus, but, but I'm telling us, as we make witnessing a lifestyle, I think what we're going to find is as we talk to people about Jesus Christ, we'll be shocked at how little they understand of who the biblical Jesus is, and that they have no concept of how Jesus' story intersects their story whatsoever. And so when, when, when Paul writes this, we need, to, we need to feel the urgency of this. So many of your neighbors have never heard about the gospel message of Jesus Christ and have a biblical understanding of Jesus. So many of your coworkers have never heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ or have a biblical understanding of the biblical Jesus. So many of your family members, the barista at Starbucks, the person you're chatting with, like people must hear uh, we, we, we can't leave it in this general nebulous uh, conversation of the man upstairs or, or this general understanding of God. We got to say the name. We got to say the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we got to unpack this good news gospel message that that name represents. And, and, and we just can't, um, we, we can't rest on the fact that, man, I think if, I think they'll just come to figure it out over time. They won't. It's got to be, it's, they got to hear it. And, and it gets us to this next part. How, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone what? Without someone preaching. And now here's where we go, oh, whew, this is a passage for preachers. Praise the Lord, right? No, we got to understand. Um, we got to understand what this word means, and then maybe deconstruct a little bit of of what we view to be preaching in our culture. And so, uh, this word, and, and you find it tethered to the announcing of the gospel throughout the New Testament. Uh, this word, preaching, is the Greek word keruso. It's it means to herald or to announce. And so you, you follow Paul's logical flow here, and you go, okay, no one can believe unless they've heard, and they can't hear without someone announcing, without someone uh, heralding this message to them. And the beauty of it is that the Lord has congregated us here, 
And for those who have believed in Jesus as your Savior, you leave here as heralds of that good news message. You leave here as preachers. And and there's all kinds of connotations of that word in our culture. So often when we hear preaching, we think of this activity that's happening right now. Uh, So often when the word preaching comes out, you'll hear people say like, I don't want to sound preachy. I don't want to preach at you. But the fact of the matter is, we do want to biblically preach the gospel. I, I think what we're getting at when we say that is a certain tone or a certain like intensity that comes with it. And, and I don't model intensity in preaching for you all at all, I know. Um, but there's a reality where if preaching, if Caruso is to announce or herald, all of us are heralds. And y'all listen to me. We get to herald the best news this world could ever hear. I'm not saying everyone's going to embrace it and love it, but it is the greatest news this world has to hear. And we can be, and I'm not, I I can be so nervous to share. and, And it's like, God's like, I've given you the best news anyone could ever hear. Herald it, announce it, share it. And here's why this is so important. Look at what we read earlier in verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes through what? Through hearing. Faith comes through hearing. The gospel is a message that must be shared. Uh, Every time I I preach on witness, um, I didn't share this in first service, but I'll just remind us, I always come back to an um, off-quoted quotation from St. Francis of Assisi. And, and you no doubt have heard this. It says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. You, can't, you have to use words to preach the gospel because it's a message. Now, hear me right. I am being critical of that statement. Every time I bring it up in a sermon, someone's always like, hey, man, love that you brought up St. Francis uh, quote. Like, I love that quote. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't love that quote. Don't love that quote. We get what he's saying, right? And we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. That there's a lifestyle, there's a service in which we live. But at the end of the day, the gospel is something to be heard. Faith comes from hearing. It's a message. And so that's why we talk about witness in this way. Witness is the obedient love to those in my communities by consistently serving and sharing the gospel. And so... um, It's important that we understand both sides of this, the serving and the sharing. Um, Because sometimes we'll go, you know, but I just don't have the gift of evangelism. Now, listen, I get it. There's probably just a handful of people in this room who are like, when you think about your spiritual gifts, have the gift of evangelism. But here's something that we all need to understand. Every Christian must do the work of evangelism. Some Christians have a spiritual gift of evangelism. You with me? Uh, Billy Graham had a gift of evangelism. Just like scripturally speaking, every Christian is to practice hospitality. Some Christians have a gift of hospitality. And so all of us are called, all of us are given a privilege. It's not something we got to do. Like we're given a privilege to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Another thing you'll often hear is, um, um, 
I'm just, I just try to live in a way that shows people Jesus, and eventually they'll figure it out. I'm oversimplifying that argument, and it's probably not fair, but I'm just going to try to be a nice guy, and eventually they'll figure it out. So I'm going to mow my neighbor's lawn. I'm going to feed their dog when they're gone. I'm gonna, and th- those are all good things, but at the end of the day, the only thing your neighbor will ever figure out is that they have a really nice neighbor. That's it. Most likely, they'll just think more highly of you instead of thinking more highly of Christ. And so, there's a partnership that happens here to the re- in the lives of the regenerate believer, the person whose life has been changed by Jesus Christ. They will, yes, serve unbelievers out of the love of how Jesus has served them, but they also will not be shy to share with the unbelievers this message of how Jesus has transformed their own heart. Serving without sharing is love without truth. Sharing with no serving is truth without love. We want to bring this picture of the gospel of truth and love and how we serve and in how we share. And so, just following what Paul writes here, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Okay, this gets at the crux of it. You're like, okay, am I sent? Am I sent to herald the gospel? Um, I'm arguing every believer is. And I'm basing that off of the commission, the great commission Jesus left with his followers, which I believe in my understanding of the text is as much for us as it was for them. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the earth. I believe Jesus sends us as these gospel heralds, these gospel announcers, these gospel preachers, where he calls us to go. And now in the Great Commission, uh, this idea of going, it, it carries the idea of as you go, as you live your life, as you are a going one, tell people of the good news of Jesus. And so I, I want to bring this to a place of, of some pointed application. I, I want you to think about where you go. All of us in here go. Uh, what are the community spheres in which you do life? Let's unpack some of these like community spheres. Let's think about where we live. All of us in here live somewhere. And One of the things that I'm hoping will happen, increasingly so as a culture of our church, is that we will see the places we live, the dorm rooms, the apartment complexes, the house we rent, the neighborhood we live in, that we will see these as mission fields that Jesus has led us to under his providence. That it's not just a roof over my head. That we, we might have liked it because it was a four-bed, three-bath, such-and-such square feet on a half. We might have liked it for all those reasons, but under the providence of God, he has brought us there as missionaries. And that we are to be these gospel heralds in the neighborhoods in which we live. And now, as we think about the mission fields in which we live, don't lose sight of the own mission field right under your own roof. 
Many of us have people right in our own homes, our kids and whatnot, who still don't know Jesus Christ. Let's be bold with the gospel of the mission fields right under our own roofs. But here is like our dream as a church for what would happen in our neighborhoods. We want to see streets become discipleship groups. So if you can imagine, all of us congregate into this one place on Sunday, right now in a school, in a couple months, it'll be our facility. And then as we leave, what could it happen? I mean, how could we saturate the south side with the gospel? If all of us were obedient to this task right where we live to share the gospel in such a way that you all would have to be leading your own discipleship group, teaching, teaching people to obey Jesus' commands right out of your own house. All of us. That's the dream. And then what would happen as that starts to happen from this street to this street to this street to this street to this street, and all of a sudden there's blocks of discipleship groups happening in your neighborhoods. What We would have to go, uh, and neighborhoods then need to become churches. You're like, oh, that could be a lot of churches if we're shooting for a church in every neighborhood. Yeah, let's go. Because there's a lot of people that live on the south side. And we could start a lot of churches on the south side every single year as disciples are made and just, just be starting to put a dent in the lostness that we see here. And so, like, this is a dream that we would just see missionaries unleashed into their neighborhoods, streets becoming discipleship groups, neighborhoods becoming churches, as we're faithful to, to live on mission where we live. Uh, what about where we work? Uh, so many of us in the room, we have a vocational calling that God has us in right now. What would it look like to see our work not only as a place we receive a paycheck and not only as a place that we're obedient to, to fulfill the command uh, Jesus has given us, but as a place where we are a missionary, where we're loving on our coworkers, where we're serving and sharing with them. And, and, and this, this doesn't, nothing about what we're talking about today has to look remarkably fancy. It's just us becoming someone who loves the people we work with, who's intentional with the people we work with, who takes opportunities to share the gospel with the people we work with. I will say, um, there's many people in our congregation who do this really well. And if, if, you're, if you're trying to understand, what could this look like in my workplace? I would encourage you, or we can help you, um, uh, look for the people who are telling stories of God at work where they work, of of where they're seeing gospel fruit happening, because there's many stories out there, but work has to be a place that as we go, God calls us to be faithful in the mission field that he's given us. What about where we play? Sounds kind of weird, like for adults, right? But all of us recreate. And some of us, you know, many of us have hobbies in the room. Some of you play golf. Some of you'd rather stick a fork in your eye than play golf, right? <laughs> Golf is not, like, I want a relaxing hobby. Golf's not relaxing to me. I went and played golf a few years back with another pastor. He brought his young son, and I hit it in the sand like I do. I just live at the beach on the golf course. And, <laughs> and I went to hit the ball out of the sand, and I don't even, I might have missed the ball. I don't even know what happened. And this pastor, young pastor kid goes, whoa, that was terrible. And I'm like, shut up, kid. It just, uh, some, some of us golf, others don't. Uh, how, about the resurgence, how about the resurgence of pickleball? Why? Wow. Yeah. Both services, I've gotten applause during pickleball. That's great. Uh, some of us are in book clubs, others, but we all have places where hobbies come out. I would just praise the Lord for hobbies. 
Praise the Lord for the enjoyment of golf and pickleball and book clubs and whatnot. Uh, let's hobby on purpose. Let's love well the people we golf with. Let's witness well to the people we gather in book clubs with. Let's do it with an intentionality that reminds us that all of us walking on this earth have an eternal destiny out in front of us. What about the places that we learn? Many of us in the room, you're still a student. You're elementary, junior high, high school, college. You're getting your master's. You're getting a doctorate. The opportunity we have to be faithful witnesses where we learn is off the charts. As you sit in your classroom and as worldviews are espoused before you, how does your gospel understanding come to bear on that? Where do you look for opportunities to be lovingly bold in the midst of that? How can you show intentional love to classmates and look for opportunities to share the gospel? I would say to those of you who are in college, I think uh, the college years, uh, especially if you live on campus, are full of profound gospel opportunities. As you gather in dorm rooms and fraternities and sororities with a group of people who all live under one roof, uh, do not waste those years of gospel opportunities. I can't tell you how many 2 a.m., 3 a.m. knocks on the dorm room door that happened through college. And after wiping the sleep from, our, from my eyes, having the chance to process the deep gospel truths of life with someone who had just been partying, 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 got to the end and said, man, it's been another Saturday night of doing the same thing. What, there's got to be more than this. I'm like, there is. Let me tell you about my Jesus. <laughs> Sit down. So what does it look like to live with this level of intentionality? Now, I, I said at the outset... When it comes to this, most of us in the room, we're like, we know we need to be telling people about Jesus. It's hard to do. There's a lot of fear that creeps in. We've been creating these equipping videos for every one of these W's because our hope is that, again, this goes beyond Sunday. It's a way we live our life. And so uh, redeemerresources.church is where you'll find these. Uh, Pastor Corey has done a two-week witness equipping for us, and we really felt the need to spend two weeks on this. What you're going to see in these equipping videos, I believe, can take away some of that anxiety we have of sharing our faith. Where do we start? What do we do? It'll unpack that. How do we talk about this? How do we have conversations like this? It will unpack that. And I'm just so excited as we gather in discipleship groups or you gather with your family around the, the TV to watch these videos because my hope is that on the other side of these couple weeks and these equipping videos that we're all going to be able to smile and look each other in the eye and go, man, I don't really have any more excuses. Like we've been equipped. We got to go tell our neighbors about Jesus. We got to tell coworkers. We got to tell friends. We got to tell family members about Jesus. We know how to do it now. Let's go out and actually obey. And so if you would, take a peek at the teaser of this week's equipping video that you'll watch. Now, a principle for us at our church uh, in regards to why we need to have a life of personal prayer is this, is that I will have a consistent life of prayer asking for boldness and for opportunity. 
So that is a principle for our church behind our witness W that in order for us to witness, in order for us to share the gospel, we have to have um, a consistent life of prayer, asking for boldness and opportunity. I have a neighbor who I've invited over for dinner twice. And literally as a chicken is, is finishing up three minutes before her and her son um, are supposed to come over, she cancels because Satan, I believe Satan got a hold of her, put fear in her heart to the point to where she did not want to, to come over because of anxiety that Satan had drawn out, which then tells me and my wife, hey, we need to be praying for her um, as we invite her over, uh, that that will be a place of peace, that the comfort of the Holy Spirit will come upon her because Satan works in that way. Church, just, just, just hear me out here. Um, people should never, have a question in regards to where you stand in your faith. People should never question where you stand because uh, we speak Jesus. And I would even challenge us. Let's begin talking to unbelievers the same ways that we speak to Christians. Like, why not just do that? Because then we're just consistent across the board and no one will question where you stand in regards to your faith walk. Uh, and, I, and I think that that just opens the avenue for conversation. And who cares if it gets awkward? Hey, that's part of it, right? Um, awkward should be the least of our worries. We should be more concerned about their souls and their hearts um, and where they're headed. How many of y'all are with me? I just want Corey every morning going, who cares if it gets awkward? Let's go. Let's go, man. I get to share an office with that guy. It's great. Uh, Corey's going to unpack these practices of what we want to just see as part of the life we live as Jesus followers. The first practice as we think about growing in a witness is this. I'll have a consistent life of prayer asking for boldness and opportunity. Um, praying for the lost will give us a burden for the lost. And at the end of the day, if we're not burdened for the lost, we won't share the gospel with the lost. We might do it to check a box and be like, okay, we had a sermon on it. I'm going to try to do that this week. But, but the, the Holy Spirit must impress on us a burden for all these people we're living by, that we're working with, that we're friends with, that we know who are separated from Jesus Christ. It's prayer that will give us a burden. Then the second thing, just real simply, is this. I'll consistently serve those in my communities, live, work, play, learn, and share the message of the gospel where I live, work, and play. And we're just going to step up. We're going to do that. And, and listen, we are so excited in the coming months to just see the stories that God is going to bring out. There's going to be wonderful stories of people surrendering their life to Jesus and entering into a relationship with him. There's going to be a lot of stories where like, we just feel like we fall flat on our face. There's going to be a lot of stories where it, you felt like things, like there was animosity and they were... But the things we want to celebrate in these stories are just faithfulness. The faithfulness of God's people to share the gospel. That is what Jesus has called us to. It's his job to transform, to soften hearts, to transform hearts, to save people's hearts. He's got to do that. God's people got to be faithful to it. And so uh, the equipping video this week, you have to spend some time getting hands-on training for what this can look like as a life. As we close today, we're going to take communion. And, and it, this fits so well because 
God tells us why he instituted, why Jesus instituted communion for us. Um, this morning before the first service, my five-year-old was sitting down here with me, and uh, Dan Madigan came up and handed me the elements to get ready for the services. And my five-year-old asked me, what's that? And so then you, you immediately go, okay, communion for a five-year-old. Like, how do I explain communion to a five-year-old? And in unpacking it and trying to simplify it in a way that he could understand it, it brought my heart to worship. That Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he looked at his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. That he took a cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That Jesus has given us this to continuously point our eyes back to the cross and understand what he has done to save us from our sin. And it's with our eyes on the cross that then we become people of the cross with a burden, a burden built out of love to go make sure everyone else knows about this story as well of what Jesus has done for them on the cross as well. Uh, God's word guides us into our communion times. Uh, it gives a lot of actually pretty stark warnings to us. It tells us to not partake of this in an unworthy manner. And so every time we, we take communion, it's not like, oh, oh yeah, we've done this before. I know what this is all about. We pause, we stop, we search our heart, we ask God to search our heart. We do this with our eyes on the cross. Uh, we bring sin before him. And then we rejoice over the cross that paid the penalty for all those sins. So let's just throttle back our hearts right now. Let's gaze on the cross. And let's search our hearts in preparation to take the elements here in a few minutes.